Okay, would you join me today? I intentionally set up today to share the gospel with you from 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17. And I realize, literally, I'm speaking to the choir, right? There's so many of you who are what we call choir members and with the kids and all, too. For probably everyone in this room, I'm going to assume... You've heard the gospel before. Quite a few of you have received the Lord as your Savior, and you know Him, and you're growing in Him. And for that we rejoice. We do. For those who know Christ as Savior, the gospel is not something that you'd say, I did that, you put it on a shelf, and you ignore it the rest of your life. Uh, It ought to be something that thrills your heart every time you hear about it just to look again and say, yes, that's what Jesus did for me. Uh, It is a beautiful thing to read in Scripture. And I don't know that you could go a page or even half a page without somewhere crossing the fact that Jesus is the one who died for you. And here in Corinthians, we have it too. 1 Corinthians 1.17 For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. We're going to spend some time in that verse today. Heavenly Father, help us, for we're dealing with your wonderful, eternal word. It's powerful, it's sharp, it always accomplishes what you send for it to do. And today we are just those that belong to you, sitting at your feet and gleaning from it again. And thank you, Lord, for that. Excite us with it. And maybe there might be somebody among us today who does not know Christ as Savior. May these words penetrate into their heart and may they by faith believe what they hear and receive Christ as their Savior. And maybe, Lord, this will prompt us to take the message out, knowing that uh, the gospel is your doing, Lord. It's your power. It's not ours. And it's something we've been given to share. And I pray that... uh, Whatever you want to do this morning with our time as we study through it, you work in our hearts, we pray. For we submit ourselves to your teaching and to your spirit and ask that you might accomplish your will in each of us as you see fit today. And thank you, Lord, for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The words you read that I just read to you as well from 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul. A lot of you already know that. He wrote these words, and, and his, his story is in Scripture. We read much of that in the book of Acts. We read of his accomplishments. We read of his zeal. We read of his thirst for knowing God's Word. His, and yes, we even read of his persecution of the church, don't we? We read of his salvation as well in the book of Acts on the road to Damascus. And here is Luke in the book of Acts recording the ministry of the church as a whole, And Paul is prominent in that. And he even recorded in Acts chapter 13 the day that Paul was called to the proclamation of the gospel. It was a day that the Lord called him out to do the work. He and Barnabas, and they went out from a church called Antioch. And they were to preach in other parts of the world, primarily we call Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And they went out into that territory with a singular purpose 
And that was to preach the gospel. That's why they went. It was the good news, by definition. Euangelion is a Greek word, which means good news. It's real simple. It's not complicated at all. And that's what they went out to preach. It was a proclamation that man needs salvation, and salvation is only through Jesus Christ. I have a period at the end of that sentence. Man needs salvation, and salvation is only through Jesus Christ. Period. It's stated the same in Jesus' own words, if you will, in John 14, 6. I remember even as a little child, I was taught to memorize that verse. And and the more I think about the verse, the more I see the wisdom of knowing it. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. No one. And that's powerful to say that. But that's the message of the cross of Christ. It's singular in nature. It's it. Paul preached it. And you see here in verse number 17 what he had to say about it. A singular message. I came to preach the gospel. And what does he define it as? Look at the end of the verse. The cross of Christ. Now, he also expressed some concerns in there, didn't he? As he wrote this, he was concerned about a couple of things, particularly. But I'm going to go to the end of the verse and start with this primary concern. His concern was that the cross of Christ would be made void. So, hmm, that's an interesting statement. Paul, what are you afraid of here? The cross of Christ be made void? That's so, so interesting, but what does it mean? Well, we're familiar with a voided check, aren't we? Somebody voids a check, you can't cash it, can you? It doesn't have any value that way. I know that we carry different Bible translations here with us on Sunday mornings. If you're reading from the King James Version right now, you're seeing, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. That's not the way we normally say sentences. But when I dug that through the old Google Dictionary, you know, you learn a lot with Google, don't you? I just popped it up there and I said, what does effect mean? And it says, number one, it's a change which is a result or consequence of an action or some other cause. It's a change. And then the verbal form of that is to cause something to happen, to bring it about. So I thought, well, what if I put those words back into the sentence and used it in the way that uh, would reflect what the King James is saying? It would be, in essence, this. Lest the cross of Christ should be made unable to bring about anything that happens or changes. Could you imagine something like the cross of Christ having absolutely no ability to do anything? Create no change. Cause no change. The English Standard Version, I know some of you carry that as well. You're you're reading through this and you're saying, well, I've got a slightly different word in that passage. And it comes from a Greek word, kineo. No, kineo. 
teneo. It's used to avoid, or it's used of none effect. But the way the ESV reads, it says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Be emptied. Got me thinking when I pulled up these words, and I play with the words, I like to play with words, and I see kineo, the idea of kineo, to empty. And then I found that the opposite of that word is playrao, which is to fill. Playrao, you fill, you fill, you fill. And kineo, you empty, you empty. And the illustration would be real simple if I had a pitcher in front of me right now, and I was to fill it all up, playrao, you just keep filling all the way to the brim, all the way, it's full. That's the whole idea of the word, to fill it, to fill it. And kineo is the opposite of that, just to pour it out, to pour it out, to pour it out. Down to the last drop, shake it a little bit upside down. Get it all out of there. That's the nature of the word. That's what these translators have tried to do in putting Paul's words before us in English. He says, Paul... It's talking about a cross that if it's turned upside down and all its contents were poured out, what good would it be? What good would it be? An empty shell. Sometimes we use the word vain as well. I always use this illustration. I do it right around Easter time. And it's amazing because I talk about uh, those chocolate bunnies that look so rich and full and everything, and you bite into them and find they're hollow, and how disappointing that is. And then I'd preach on that, and the next week I got six of them on my desk of solid chocolate bunnies, and I love that. That's really great. But the whole concept is, what would be more disappointing than an empty cross? It has no power to change you at all. No effect. It's void. No value. Empty. That's a, that's a hard thing to try to swallow. Kenneth Weiss also put together a New Testament translation, which isn't one that's normally circulated among people. Uh, Greek scholars like to pull it out. And he says, For Christ did not send me on a mission to be a baptizer, but to be a bringer of good news. Not bringing this good news within the realm of philosophical discourse, lest the cross of the Christ be emptied of its true significance and power. So I add a couple more. I always bring you the Amplified. I love doing that. Lots of words. For Christ the Messiah sent me not out to baptize, but to evangelize by preaching the glad tidings, the gospel. And that not with verbal eloquence, lest the cross of Christ should be deprived of force, and emptied of its power, and rendered vain, and fruitless, and void of value, and of no effect. They tried to cover everybody. There's a new translation now. Brand new. It's just in the New Testament form so far. It's called the Legacy Standard Version. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, not in wisdom of word, so that the cross of Christ will not be made empty. Empty. I had this picture many years ago when, I, when Paul said this verse, and I thought about this verse as I read it, lest the cross of Christ should be made void. And I thought, how many times 
Do you see churches with crosses right up here behind the pulpit? Many churches I've been in have the cross up here behind the pulpit. And I thought, where do I stand in regard to the cross of Christ? Do I stand in front of it so you can't see it? Or do I stand behind it so that's all you see? This is Paul's worry. His great concern, for he knows it's what has happened on that cross that makes the difference, that has the effect, that changes lives. And he says, I don't want to get in the way of that. I don't want to empty that out of its power. Let's be very clear of what he's saying. He's not talking about any cross. He's talking about a cross that belongs to Jesus Christ. It's the cross of Christ. See it? That's important. And most, most important with that is the fact that it's the cross of Christ he's talking about. Not the identity of Christ, though that would be wonderful to talk about. It's not the words of Christ that are being made empty. It's not the religion of Christ. It's not the miracles of Christ. It's not the deity of Christ. It's not the ministry of Christ. It's not the resurrection of Christ. It is the cross he's talking about. Singularly pointing out one thing and his fear that it might be made void. The cross of Christ is where he died, right? You all know that. It's the cross where he died. And everything that it means is that he died. That wasn't just a, a moment or two of, you know, just, you know, torture him a little bit and let him go. He died on that cross. It was a place of execution on purpose. It's not a pretty sight when you think it through, is it? It's not a comfortable sight, is it? It was a place where we might say the epitome of torture and anguish and suffering took place. It was a place of shame. It was a place of ridicule. It is a place where the sins of the world, and I can't even fathom, the entire wrath of God is poured out upon one individual, and he's innocent. And it's poured out completely on him, and he paid the price that we owed. He paid for our sins, didn't he? Our sins. He died for Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us. The more you stare at it, the more you realize how sinful we are and how loving He is. It's astounding to stand and look at a cross and realize that's where Jesus died. Now, I'm not speaking this morning about the, the gold or the silver cross you might be wearing around your neck today. I'm not talking about that exactly. I'm not talking about beautiful ornaments that we put on the walls or anything. Those things have become symbols to us, and that's not a bad thing to have that reminder now, is it? And it's not a bad thing to wear such a thing if somebody should say, Oh, you've got a cross, and open door of opportunity to speak. Why do I wear this cross? That you could share with somebody how much that means to you. Not that piece of jewelry, but what it means. That Jesus Christ took my place. He died on a cross for me. I, I don't have a problem with all that. We're talking about the true cross this morning. The true cross of Christ where he died. 
it says, Paul's writing, I don't want it to become empty. I don't want it to become empty. You know what's interesting? Just keep your, your place in here and go to Philippians chapter 2 for a minute. Philippians chapter 2, because I want to show you something. There's another time when this word is used. The same word, kineo, is used in Philippians 2. And the first handful of verses, you start in verse number 5. It starts talking about that same word, empty. And you'll see it. It's, it doesn't take long to notice it. It says in verse 5, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but did what? Emptied himself. That's the same word. Emptied himself. Taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is quite a picture to try to fathom. The one who poured himself out is pictured here, Jesus Christ. And the essence of it is that he poured himself out until there was nothing left. That's the nature of the word. Until there was nothing left. I, I really can't understand that, but somehow... Uh, Jesus poured himself out. We know he had all the prerogatives of heaven. We, we know that he had all the privileges of deity. Coming down to this earth, all he had to do was stand up and say, I'm God, and everybody would be on their face. That would be an interesting New Testament, wouldn't it be? Wherever he walked, people are laying on the ground. It's just astounding. He had the privileges of deity, and somehow he poured himself out poured himself out to become a man. There he had the prestige of a man. He had the rights of the king of Israel, didn't he? Wasn't he of that Davidic line? Wasn't he rightfully able to claim that throne? He's the son of David. He was born into the prominent tribe of Judah. Yet he poured himself out and became a servant. And you say, okay, well that's getting low. But he in the position of a servant, he had opportunity to advance in his skills and his prominence among other servants. He could have become the head of overseers, perhaps. Remember, Joseph was nothing but a slave and he moved up, didn't he? In his position among Pharaoh's group and, and Potiphar's group and became a manager and head over a house and later head over a nation just under the Pharaoh himself. It's, it's not hard for a servant to move up. We have many records of such things. They have everybody else under them. But Jesus poured himself out even as a servant to the point of death, to obedience, to the point of death on a cross. He kept pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring. It says, and if I use the word right, there was nothing left to pour out on that cross. That was it. That was all. 
And Jesus said it was finished. Gave it all completely. You know, that staggers me. That staggers me to think through. It's too big, really. But as we stare at such a scene, we look up there and, and we could hear those words of Paul in our ears saying, Christ didn't send us to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel. Not in a word of wisdom, but that the cross of Christ would not be made empty. Who am I to turn that cross upside down and shake out its contents? Who am I to make it vain or void? Who am I to take the stuffing out of it and have it without power at all? Who am I to pour out its contents? That's not my place. That's not your place. We're not here to make the cross void. But you know, wisdom steps in. Wisdom will step in and bring with it all its little committees. And they're coming here and the first group you talk with is called the Palatable Committee. They say, oh, you know that cross, it's bloody. It's just, oh, it's just not a pretty sight at all. We've got to clean it up. We've got to make it attractive. We, we want it so that, that it's acceptable. Let's make it palatable. And they go to work on the cross and what they have done. They've emptied it of its contents. And then another committee called the Remodeling Committee steps in. And oh, no, no, no. It doesn't match current trends at all. <laughs> we got to change it. We got to, we got to, you know, that, that old one's no longer in vogue. We don't, can't, we can't use that kind anymore. Let's, let's update it. And in that act, they strip it of its power. They turn it upside down and empty out its contents and leave it void. And then in comes the opinion committee. Oh, I know what we need to do. Let's just take a poll. All right, let's ask everybody what they think. Let's get society's view of this cross. Let's market it. The minute they start, they turn it upside down and shake out its contents and leave it empty. When Paul went to Corinth, he stepped into a city that I don't know if you would have been comfortable in. I don't think I would have been comfortable in. But when he went into a a city like Corinth, it's in Greece, and they magnified man. And they loved the strength of man. And they loved the looks of man. And they loved the wisdom of man. And they loved the skills of man. And they loved the speech of man. And everything was centered around wisdom and skill and power and oratory. And they said, that drives the society. That's what it's all about. And the little Corinthian church sitting in the middle of it bought it, hook, line, and sinker. And they were looking for men to come in and speak to them that looked good and spoke good and had wisdom and had degrees and had all this power in their voice. And that's what they were looking for, for their pulpit. They wanted impressed. And in comes Paul. You know how he's described in Scripture? Something about a bald little skinny man or something like that? Not impressive. They said, oh, he doesn't, he doesn't sound very impressive when he talks. 
His his words are strong, but boy, his appearance. Woo-hoo! You know, they had a lot of opinions about the Apostle Paul, and he didn't match anything that Corinth was looking for. And Paul steps in there and he says, I know you thirst for these things. I know you want these things. And he speaks directly to them and he says, I will not use my words. I will not use my wisdom ever to detract from that cross. Let me read it to you. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where we were, he goes on to say, right after verse 17, Start in verse 18 with me and just go a few verses here. He says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved by it, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Understand this. Read it again. The world will never come to know God through its own wisdom. Never. Since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for a sign. Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block, to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are, be, who, are, who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Wow! He didn't stop. He went on throughout the whole book. And I said, if you're ever going to read that book, you just got to yell it the whole time, and you get the feel of the Apostle Paul. It's like, wow, was he serious? And he put a period after that word, cross. So that's what it's all about. It's that simple. We're not saved by words. We're not saved by wisdom. We're saved by the message of the cross. That's what we're saved by. Don't shake it upside down. Don't empty it of its power. Don't stand in front of it so the world can't see it. Put it first. Set it out there. It's got the power to save. Not us. Not me. The cross of Christ saves. You want a good picture of this? Go back with me to Numbers 21. Book of Numbers. Way, way back in your Old Testament. Fourth book in. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Numbers chapter 21. Hope your pages aren't dusty way back there. But in verse number 4, we've got the Israelites walking through the wilderness. They got in trouble a few times, didn't they? Did I just kind of understate that? (laughs) It was daily. I think that was uh, uh, poor Moses every single day waking up, (laughs) deciding, do I get out of bed or don't I? I could imagine that. He says, what's new? What's going to happen today? Well, something happened this day in Numbers 21. They set out from verse 4. They set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around to the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. 
and the people spoke against God. That's not a good thing to do, by the way. I want to just give you a pastoral bit of advice. Don't do that. Don't speak against God. He's God after all, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, they're about to find out again. But here, they spoke against God and Moses and said, Why have you brought us up from Egypt to this wilderness? There is no food and there's no water. you got to put the wine in there. There's no water and we loathe this miserable food. What was that? They couldn't stand the manna anymore. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a standard, and it shall become about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. End of story. Leaves you with a lot of wonder, doesn't it? What happened after that? Who did that? Who didn't do that? Who believed that? Oh, sure, Moses. I got bit by a snake and I'm supposed to look at another one? I'm supposed to believe that that bronze serpent on that stick is going to heal me. I'd rather have medicine. I'd rather have, you know, there's got to be a better way, Moses. You don't do it this way. Just put a, a bronze serpent on a stick. It was an issue of faith, wasn't it? It was obedience, wasn't it? The Lord said, do it, do it. And those who didn't, died. I don't know, folks, but you know, in our day and age, belief is treated like, oh, it's optional. You know, why don't you believe it? Well, if you want to, it's okay if you don't. Do you know what the price of unbelief is? It's death. Do we know that? When we proclaim the gospel, do we realize that we're handing them life or death in the message? You believe it, you have eternal life. We love that. But if they don't believe it, well, that's their prerogative, right? That's, their, that's okay. No, it's not okay. Because there's only one message. There's no other route. They didn't give you 14 serpents to choose from and pick the one you like. They didn't say, I'll put a serpent here and a giraffe there, and you can pick whichever one you like. He didn't say, well, look, if you want, but it's okay, I've got a doctor, he can help you out. There were no alternatives to the serpent on the stick. And there's no alternatives to the gospel of Jesus Christ that he died on a cross for us. There's nothing else to give. That's what he says. Believe that or die. That's stunning. But sometimes we, we, we paint it in different ways. 
Sometimes we put it down as, a, as if it's just a good idea along the way. Maybe it's a nice option. It'd be great if they all join us, but who knows? You know, we, we treat it like uh, it's not important. And every time we do that, we turn it upside down and shake it and empty it out. What did Jesus do with the concept of a serpent being put on a stick in the wilderness? Some of you know. You'll find it in John. It's in chapter 3. Does that surprise you? Matter of fact, it's the two verses before the one that everybody seems to know. In John three fourteen and 15, Jesus said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. He was talking about his death on a cross. He says, and those who believe in him will have eternal life. And today, either you do or you don't. That's true of every single person in this room. Either you do or you don't. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you do have eternal life. Because you believe that he died on a cross for you. If you do not believe that, you don't have eternal life. You see it? That's where we stand today. At the foot of a cross. Either you believe it or you don't believe it. And he goes on to say, and you know it, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So we we make it clear. And I want to state it as absolutely clearly as I can. There is no salvation apart from Jesus and what he did on that cross. There's nothing else. Being good does not save you. Having wealth does not save you. Being sacrificial will not save you. Going to church will not save you. But it's still a good idea to come. Being kind will not save you. Setting a good example will not save you. I could go on all day long because the world has put a thousand or more different things in there that they say is sufficient for them to stand before a throne someday and negotiate with God and find a way inside that door. And God says, no, there is no way to me except through my son. Period. Period. You cannot change that. You cannot change that. That's the message of the cross. You cannot improve that. That's the message of the cross. You cannot replace it. That's the message of the cross. You cannot refurbish it. (laughs) You see, it's either you have the cross of Christ or you have nothing. You seek to be saved? Look at the cross of Christ. Look at the Savior who died upon that cross. That's the message we proclaim here. That's what we see. That's what we believe. That's what we proclaim. Now with words of wisdom, eloquence will hide it every time. Just make it straightforward. We're talking about salvation, and there's only one who will ever save you, and that's Jesus Christ. Do you know him? 
I have said that to a hundred kids every day, Monday through Friday. And I plead with them. I only get five minutes. Here I get a little bit more. I take as much as I want. But that's a different story. Um, I get the opportunity just to share it with you. And plead with you. And beg with you. And I don't know how else to say it, but this is God's Word. And this is what it says. And we must believe it. And when we do, we have eternal life. And when we don't, we won't. And I don't want anyone here to step into eternity and find out they don't have Christ. I don't want that. So hear the plea of a pastor today who's read the words of a missionary who was sent out by the Lord Jesus Christ just to plead the cross. And I do that today. And I ask you, if you don't know Him as your Savior, will today be the day? Right now be the time? If you do, please come and talk to me. I'll talk to you. I'll pray with you. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do that. We'll talk about Jesus. If you know Him as your Savior, guess what, folks? You have a treasure within you. Who are you going to share it with? Shouldn't you? There's a whole wide world out there that needs to hear it, too. Who's got it? We do. Who needs it? They do. Understand? We've got something to share. Don't you call it good news? I'm tired of bad news, aren't you? Let's spread some good news. People know. It's not, easy. It's, it's not hard to put it down into words. It's just what Jesus did. Don't try to make it eloquent. You're empty out your cross. Don't try to paint it over. You're empty out the cross. Don't try to just go with whatever the world's thinking. You're empty out your cross. Just preach it. Just proclaim it. Just tell it to somebody. Like I've tried to do this morning. Heavenly Father, you know every heart in this room. And I would beg that you would do your work in the hearts today that are here right now that do not know Jesus as their Savior. May they see without any doubt that they need Him right now. And may they not waste one more second living in this world apart from Jesus Christ. I pray that you draw them to yourself because you're the only one who can. The power of the cross is not in man, it's in God who's accomplished all these things. And we turn to you as those who follow you and say, Lord, do your work in our midst. Do a miracle and bring a life to you that can have eternal life now because of Jesus Christ. We plead for that today. We beg that you bear fruit among us. Most of all, that Jesus Christ be praised. That he be praised among us, glorified among us. That we put him first, prominent in our thoughts and in our speaking and our actions. May the world look at us and see a cross of Christ. And may they know there's a Savior who loves them and died for them. Use us, Lord, how you see fit to carry on a message like this. What an amazing thing it is and how privileged we are, how unworthy we are, but privileged to be bearers of good news. And we thank you, Lord, for it in Jesus' name. Amen.